Welcome to Lessons in Leadership, the best leadership program where everything you ever wanted and needed to know about leadership. That's where you find out right here. Mary, I just made that up as if some sort of magazine wrote that on leadership. <laughs> just like one, one day up. we need to do a reel of all of your intros. They're just always so fun, but that that has to be one of the better ones. And you, and I'm also going to, before we introduce our good friend, Matt, uh, I'm going to do this. When Mary puts her glasses on, it usually means she has some something to read I and have... it's usually about our sponsors and the people who make the show possible. I could be guessing and I could be right. Could what be is guessing. it, Mary? You could be right on accurate here. So yes, uh, first and foremost, check out our website, stand-deliver.com. You can learn a lot about our sponsors, but also get a lot of valuable information. Column Steve has written on all the topics we talk about here. Would love to thank our promotional partners, CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, Meadowlands Chamber and Meadowlands Media and NJBIA in New Jersey Business Magazine. And lastly, our sponsors, Prager Metis, Choose NJ, Choose New Jersey, Valley Bank, Seton Hall University and the Bacino Leadership Institute, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, Veolia, Fedway Associates, and last but certainly not least, Delta Dental of New Jersey. And that's all we have for our show today. Thanks for watching. Just yeah, right. <laughs> that would imply that we spent a fair amount of time doing the business of this show to get on. Just a little no bit. Money, Barry, I start, you finish. No money? No mission. And I have one other interesting fact. Thanks to Joey, Joey Gamba, who we're having on later today, my 17-year-old. He said, it's true. If you take your glasses off right when you're about to say something, people take it a lot more seriously because it's actually proven. They've done research on this. So if you have to say something important and be more persuasive, take your glasses off as you say it. That's all I got. Hold on one second. Let me try it again. I'm about to introduce our guest kicking off the program, uh, Matt Eventoff. Matt, did I say it the right way? You said it perfectly. Matt Eventoff, uh, Princeton Public Speaking and Oratory Project. Good to see you, Matt. Wonderful to see you. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you so much, Mary. Hey, Matt, do you know how you got on the show? I do not know how I got on the show, Steve. Yes, you do. You know exactly how you got on the show. I got who, recommend, who recommended you? I was recommended by a mutual friend, our mutual friend, Senator Kevin O'Toole, now Chairman Senator Kevin O'Toole. Who's in a poor party. Kevin's batting a thousand when it comes to recommending guests. So it all worked out. Hey, listen, Matt, talk to us about what is the Oratory Project? The Oratory Project is an interesting collaboration that I have with a former student at Princeton University who now runs an amazing organization down in South Texas called the College Scholarship Leadership Access Program run by Thomas Garcia. He was a student at Princeton where I served as the resource at Princeton University uh, for their public speaking program called Speak With Style, which was student run organization. And I was a resource there for 10 years. Thomas and I really hit it off. And the idea was when COVID first hit to bring resources to children in underserved communities to help them find their voices and offer those resources for free. Mary, does that sound familiar? Oh, it does. It, and it sounds so near and dear to our heart, for sure. Our, our, for 22 years, Stand and Deliver are not for prop. Love oh, I love that. it. Mary, can we make that accessible on our website so people Definitely. can get it? Okay. But for 22 years, we ran a program called uh, Stand and Deliver. It's leadership and communication tools for inner city youth, disproportionately young and young men and women in Newark. Uh, Mary ran that program. I was honored to, to found it. And um, we did for a lot of years. Now the Board of Education is running it through the schools. But Matt, we, we share that commitment to helping young people find their voice. But real quick on this. As a student of public speaking, you know it's been my world, my first book, 
2001, Mary Speak from the Heart. Thank you, Simon and & Schuster. And every book it. since then has been, you have it? I do. Oh, you're the one. So, um, <laughs> so here's the thing. I know he got it on eBay for a buck and a half, but here's the thing. Every book, every seminar, every article, everything I've ever done has been this obsession with public communication. That's for me. Where does yours come from? It's interesting. My story, my journey in communication actually started when I was 11 years old. I was a young man. I was a little bit different than other kids. And I used to ride my bicycle through my neighborhood. I grew up in Tom's River and I used to ride my bicycle through my neighborhood and other neighborhoods listening to anyone on this show still remembers a Walkman, traditional Walkman with a cassette tape. And I received the cassette tape of Iron Maiden's first live album, Live After Death. And at the beginning of that album was Winston Churchill giving one of his most famous addresses of all time, we shall fight on the beaches. And when I first put that tape in and I heard that voice, every, every, every hair on my body stood up and the electricity I felt run through my body was something like I've never felt before. And I became a churchophile at that point. I just became obsessed with everything Winston Churchill, became obsessed with digesting everything that Winston Churchill produced, everything that Winston Churchill said. That was obviously pre-YouTube. It was very hard to get any kind of video. Uh, I, I couldn't find any video, but anything I could find on audio, anything I could read. And it just became fascinating to me how one human being could change the course of history with, with their voice. And although my life's taken many twists and turns as most of ours have in, in a career, that, that really was an anchoring point. And it became fascinating to me that through a, through, through a mix of communication and through messaging, that a man who had, had a, a, a checkered political career up until that point, always the most popular guy in, in, in Britain, was able to save the Western world through his, many ways through his voice. For me, it was Dr. Martin Luther King. It still is Dr. Martin Luther King, a leader who moved mountains, who changed this country in, in, in ways that took way too long, and it's still taking way too long, but a leader with an extraordinary voice. Malcolm X is someone else I've studied a great deal. John F. Kennedy um, cut down way too early in his life, assassinated. But I'm fascinated by leaders who connect with people and move the world and inspire people through the spoken word. Mary, jump in. Yeah, and, and you hit it on the head, Matt, with the voice is such a powerful engine, right? We can get messages across to people, we can connect with people. Why are people so afraid of public speaking? Where does that fear come from and what can we do to overcome that fear? Because really without sharing through voice, people cannot hear our messages. I think we all, we all, suffer from i certainly do and that's something i've always been nervous before crowds and i've been doing this now for close to 22 years and and it's it's a fascinating conundrum that most people face and and it's i think it's it's just very odd for a person to be up in front of other people and they are the only one verbally communicating i think one of the barriers is people don't realize that you're still having a conversation even if someone is not verbally responding they're responding through nonverbal communication, they're responding through facial gestures, they're responding through listening, through intent focus, as you're illustrating right now, Mary. Yeah, and, and I'm smiling because Steve and I always say to anyone that comes to us and says, I'm really afraid of speaking in public, we're, we say to them, are you afraid of having a conversation? And if you change your mindset, 
and see that as a conversation as compared to a presentation, which takes us back to like the third and fourth grade when you had to stand up and you're fumbling with your notes and papers. So if you see it as a conversation, that's why I was using my body language to say, yes, that is definitely it. And to jump on that, Mary, I think one thing that most people forget, and, and Dr. Adubato, you brought up amazing names. Please call me Steve. I only have hey. my kids. <laughs> I have a PhD, so I have a lot of respect for anyone who does. But No, I, I appreciate that. I only have my kids call me Dr. Arabato. Go ahead. Fair enough. But if you look at what, what most people don't realize is when Dr. Martin Luther King gave his I have a dream speech, he had given portions of that speech at different times in churches throughout the South for, 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 for quite a while. Not that speech, but peace. it wasn't that he just woke up one day and gave a speech. He spoke all the time. Winston Churchill spoke all the time and practiced all the time. There are tomes written about the preparation and practice that Winston Churchill put in to be able to communicate the way that he did. Malcolm X, the same thing. John F. Kennedy, the same thing. If you look at any great leader who communicates well, they don't just wake up and communicate effectively. It's an art as anything else. And I think that's the other, to, to, to something both you and Mary said earlier, I think that's something else that's really a barrier for people is they don't understand that I, I am not a believer. I believe obviously there are some people who are born great at different disciplines and they are the anomaly and they are one of a thousand or one of a million or whatever that number might be. But hold on, but Matt, they don't get better by just being that. They get better. That's like saying Michael Jordan was born with extraordinary skills. Yeah. And he practiced constantly. So you may be born with it, but to improve and get better, it just doesn't happen automatically. Go ahead. And, and, and Michael Jordan's a great example, right? I believe, and, and my facts might be wrong here, but Michael Jordan was left off of either his, his sophomore team. He played, went out for varsity as a sophomore and was cut. So, so I, 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 think, I think that that to me is, and and really the, the, the impetus between behind speechless and speak with style books is that you might be born in different circumstances than somebody else, but everybody has a voice. Everybody has a voice. And if you can learn how to hone that voice, utilize that voice and articulate, you will have a leg up in whatever it is you choose to do, no matter where, no matter what, what your circumstances are. Last follow up on this. You're an entrepreneur. You're out there uh, as we are trying to secure clients who believe in what we do, keep clients who believe in what we do and the impact we make, expand our relationships. Mary and I believe that entrepreneurship is an art form and a very key component of leadership. Your view of entrepreneurship. I believe entrepreneurship is also an art, but I believe it's accessible to anybody. I believe entrepreneurship really requires obviously a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work, a, a lot of focus, but it also, it also relies on a, a lot of faith because what, what the difference between an entrepreneurship and a job is entrepreneurship, there's an unknown. Now, I could argue that with a job, there is an unknown as well. You don't know. We are not in control of our own circumstances. We are in control of the choices that we make and the actions that we take. And I think entrepreneurship to me is my business, much like your business, has been built on one client at a time, one person at a time, over-delivering. Yep. In, in my in my case, I don't advertise. I don't market. I, it's, it's entirely based on word of mouth. And it's that 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 person will when they see somebody else in the circumstance that they were in. Pay it forward and 
and, and offer a recommendation. And I've been very blessed and thankful that that's what's happened. But I think entrepreneurship's, I think entrepreneurship is to me a, a skill that is again, accessible to anyone. And I think you're seeing it online right now. And to, to wrap this up, Mary, as I'm listening to Matt, uh, we're going to have Mary's son, Joe on. Joey, who's 17 years of age. He's an artist. He's a performer. He'll be part of our um, Arts Connection series, talking to young leaders in the arts. And you may ask, why is this relevant? Here's my view. Whether you're a performing artist, you're an artist artist, whether you do this kind of work, consulting, coaching people in leadership development, uh, you're starting a, a restaurant and a million other things. You may be really good at that thing, but being an entrepreneur is a different skill set. And to say, I'd rather just do the art, the work, the thing, no money, no mission. It doesn't pay off. And so that's why Mary and I obsess over relationship building and the keys to entrepreneurships. And right, I'm off my soapbox. Hey, Matt, thank you for joining us, my friend. We appreciate it. It's uh, Senator O'Toole, chairman of the Port Authority, Kevin O'Toole, still batting 1,000 in his guest recommendations. Just wanted to get that out there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, Senator Chairman. You got it. Thanks, Mary. And I'll be right back after this. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Pregramatis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, resourcing the world, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Hey kids, PBS Kids and Delta Dental want you to have a healthy smile. So here are some tips for you to remember. Number one, eat plenty of crunchy fruits and vegetables. Number two, brush your teeth after eating sugary snacks or drinking sodas. And number three, drink lots of water to wash away food particles. When your teeth are happy, all of you is happy. From PBS Kids and Delta Dental, have a healthy smile. We're now joined by Dr. Rochelle Williams, uh, Chief Programs and Membership Officer, National Society of Black Engineers. Good to have you with us, Dr. Williams. Thank you for having me. Our honor. And I want to make it clear, this is part of our Powering Equity and Social Justice series. We'll put up the website of the National Society of Black Engineers, but tell folks exactly what it is and why the organization is so important. Yes, yeah, so we are almost a 50-year organization with a mission to increase the number of culturally responsible Black engineers who excel academically, succeed professionally, and positively impact the community. This was started by collegiate students, like I said, almost 50 years ago on the campus of Purdue University who saw that there needed to be intentional focus on advancing Black people in engineering programs. And their vision and legacy has lived on through the 20,000 plus members that we have today. Growing up, was 
in was becoming an engineer part of your professional dream? Yes, actually, um, I was very fortunate and I recognized the privilege that I did have growing up where both of my parents were college educated. Um, mm -hmm. They went to Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is where I'm from. Um, and my mom was really big on making sure we had a wide variety of experiences from sports to arts to math and science. And I actually enrolled in a program that's still in existence today on Southern University's campus, which is called the Engineering Summer Institute. I did that in third grade and it sparked my interest in engineering. And I knew from that moment I was going to be an engineer and I accomplished it. Did you know you were gonna be a leader in the field of engineering and work to inspire and motivate others, particularly uh, those who happen to be African-American and having a hard time getting into this arena? Did you know that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I didn't I even know that. that happened. Yeah. I think it just comes along with saying yes to opportunities, right? Um, being, not being afraid to challenge the status quo. And honestly, I, I have to tip my hat off to racism, right? Like seeing the difficulties Black people face in this field, whether it's in the educational sector or in the corporate sector, that's really what keeps me going because I know life doesn't have to be like this, right? Um, there's no reason why I should be working in a nonprofit. I should be working in the engineering field, right? In the workforce. But when there's something that compels you to really make a difference, then your your path changes. So no, I never had an a clue that this would be the road I'd be on. I always thought I'd be working for like BMW or somewhere building cars. Like I love that, you know, designing and building and manufacturing, but this has called me and I feel like this is important work if we really do want to see change in this society. Building BMWs may be important, but the work you're doing on a lot of levels way more important. Mary, go ahead. Yeah, I would love to talk a little bit about the connection between leadership and mentoring, especially because that K through 12, that vulnerable, mm -hmm. it really comes down to whose role models are in their lives. So why is it so important to you personally and as well as with your organization to coach, mentor, and pretty much bring up and, and raise our young leaders of tomorrow? Yes, because it's so important that we not only spark the interest at a young age, but we sustain it. So the latest research is telling us that even girls in middle school, that's where they lose their interest in math and science. That's where that change happens. And even speaking to my own personal experience, that's when it could have happened for me. Had it not been for a math teacher who said, you're going to stay in school every day until you get pre-algebra. Right? I was going to say, it, it faded for me because I hated math, but right. I wasn't good at it. <laughs> Doctor, who was that teacher? We just have some obsession about names. Right? You never forget the teacher's names that make a positive impact. Dr. Gwendolyn Scott at McKinley Middle Magnet School. Ms. Scott wow. was instrumental in making sure I stayed the course in math, right? And so that pre-college time in middle school um, really, like, had it not been for her saying you're staying until you get this concept, I think that's when I would have been lost because I would have given up, Right. And so think about me who had a parent who was an accountant who knows math. What about all the children out there who don't have parents who are good in math that could really sit down and help them? And so that's why the mentoring piece is so important that we have people that can 
support them not only in the social context, but also in the technical context as they go through their K through 12 pathway. Let me switch gears a little bit here. Um, we're doing this on Lessons in Leadership. We're gonna share it with our, uh, our broader audience, if you will, um, likely on one-on-one. -on -one. But I'm curious, what is the most significant way in which you believe your leadership approach, your approach to leadership has been influenced, impacted by COVID three plus years in? Just a real intentional focus on people over policies. Oh, people over policies. Policies. Please expand, Because please. when you think about how our organizations are structured, they are really structured to support the organization in moving forward. And so if we are facing a crisis where people are dying every single day, your staff's family members are dying or sick or in hospitals, how do you not address the policies that prevent them for, from living, right? From living, period. Um, so it's really me being more intentional about making sure before we look at anything, we're looking at it through an equitable lens mm. and a lens that puts people before the policies that we've created or will create. Mary, got time for one more on your end. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to talk just a little bit. I know you talked about the math and the challenges in STEM. What other skills do you believe are essential for our young adults, especially as they're graduating high school, looking at colleges? If there were one leadership skill, in addition to getting the education, of course, what one leadership skill today would you say to your younger self, hey, this is what you really need to succeed in college and beyond? You know, I love Brene Brown's work. And I think emotional intelligence is one of the biggest skills that we as, an, as a people, as a community, as a country have to focus on. Because if you don't have the emotional intelligence to guide people, to know what people need, then how do we make sure our organizations are thriving? And you can't unless you have emotionally intelligent leaders. You know, as, as Dr. Williams talks about uh, emotional intelligence, please check out our Lessons in Leadership Library. The website will be up. We will include, um, say her name again? Renee Brown. Renee Brown was preceded by Dr. Daniel Goldman, who yes. wrote the original book on emotional intelligence. Also in collaboration, Mary, with our good friend, Dr. Maurice Elias. Elias so yeah. let's make sure we share that information. Um, Dr. Rochelle L. Williams uh, of the National Society of Black Engineers. I want to thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. You got it. Stay with us, Mary, and I'll be right back. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Hey folks, Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, Lessons in Leadership. Mary, real quick, before we get into a conversation about mental health, overall well-being, and leadership, uh, could you remind folks of our underwriters? Yes, definitely. I'm going to put on my glasses. <laughs> we, we have Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, Seton right. Hall University, and the Bacino Leadership Institute, Prager yep. Metis, yep. Northport Center, Veolia, yes. Fedway, yeah. 
Delta yeah. Dental. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> it is Sunday morning as you're tuning in. I feel in, like so I'm in church. And I was going to say, yes, shirt. we've got this. Uh, NJ Sharing Network, Valley Bank, and I think I got everybody. And a thank you to our promotional partners as well. We don't say thank you to them enough. They share our video clips, our columns. So we've got CIA NJ and Commerce Magazine, Meadowlands Media and Meadowlands Magazine, and then NJBIA, which is the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and New Jersey Business Magaz Magazine. So, can I wipe my nose on here? Amen. You can. You can. If I recall the last tape day, you let me have a coughing spell and we kept it in the segment. So that's yeah, good TV. So, hey, listen, um, let's try this one. So there's a member of the United States Senate. John Fetterman, right, April? John Fetterman. Yeah. Pennsylvania. Um, who had a stroke during the campaign. This is not about politics. There's nothing to do with politics. But it's so interesting, Mary. Senator Fetterman, after he was elected, and there was a lot of questions about his health, but he gets elected to the U.S. Senate. And soon after, he acknowledges he's having some real issues, and he takes time away from the Senate. And some of it has to do with anxiety, depression. Who knows how much it's connected to the stroke and what he can and can't do? Why is this relevant? So I've been thinking a lot about, since we talk about wellness so much, well-being. And there's a chapter in this in the new book, Lessons in Leadership 2.0, the tough stuff coming out in the summer of 2023, on the so-called wellness leadership connection. Trust me, there's a question here. How much in your view, I'm curious how other people see this as well. I want you to think about this as we talk about it. A leader is supposed to be strong, confident, in control. He, she, they've got it, no matter what it is. Now that leader is struggling with real mental health issues. To what degree do you believe that leader has A, a responsibility, B, maybe just shouldn't say anything about it? First of all, I do have a degree in psychology from the great Kane University. So remember that. So I do I have, have a PhD very strong- from another great university, but not in psychology. Go ahead. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. But I do have really strong feelings on this. And the more that people in the public eye, not only do people in the public eye have a responsibility to be ethical, truthful, honest, work hard and set really good examples for the people around them, they have the ability to also show their vulnerability. Why? Because it'll allow all of us who suffer with mental illness, and everyone does at some point in time, some more severe than others, but it lets us know it's okay, it's normal. It makes it more acceptable and it doesn't make it some taboo thing that has to happen behind closed doors. So in my personal- advocate, Some people see it as weak and you can't be in a position of leadership because we don't know about your judgment since you're dealing with mental health issues. Go yeah, ahead. On the flip side, you're gonna have people say, wow, look how strong that person is because they came forward. So if you're gonna live your life as a, as a person in the public eye, always afraid of what people are gonna say Forget or how about they're gonna the public feel. Eye. Think about leadership of a corporation, of a nonprofit, yes. of a university. That's public, but not so public. Yeah, it is, but- well, I, I feel, and it also depends. If you are a leader, say, if you're a airline pilot and you have mental illness, you do have to have the obligation Agreed. to say, listen, maybe I shouldn't be flying this plane. But on the flip side, if you take a pause and you say, time out, I need to go get the help that I need for me or for my family members. But that's private. If I'm telling our not-for-profit team mm -hmm. uh, of our production company or the team here, I'm seeing a therapist, which, yeah, I am. Okay, fine. Yeah. Do I think I have mental illness? Eh. But what do you share? What do you not share? Yeah. Well, again, that's a personal choice. If you're asking me my preference, I am an oversharer. I love people that share, not for attention, but they share just for empathy, for people to understand. So to me, that is a sign of strength. 
but that's just me. Is it a responsibility to share it or you're okay if they share it? Two different I, things. I believe, I believe it's a responsibility. I could see the pros and cons of each, but to me, I see it as a responsibility. People need to know. Wow. That's that we will discuss this on a future edition of <laughs> Mary's Psych Couch 101. Uh, Mary Gamba, Steve Adubato, Lessons in Leadership. Be well out there. See you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Pregramatis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, resourcing the world, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. Kids, PBS Kids, and Delta Dental want you to have a healthy smile. So here are some tips for you to remember. Number one, eat plenty of crunchy fruits and vegetables. Number two, brush your teeth after eating sugary snacks or drinking sodas. And number three, drink lots of water to wash away food particles. When your teeth are happy, all of you is happy. From PBS Kids and Delta Dental, have a healthy smile.